Today we're going to talk about uh, the hearts of t- uh, kids. First of all, I want to start out by saying that I've been a pediatrician in this area for four years. And in that four years, I started out with uh, Dr. Carrie Dutton, which some of you may know. You guys might even bring your kids to, uh, to her. And uh, she's been in the community for about 10 years, and she really understands the hearts of children and parents. And she really challenged me as a pediatrician to look beyond the cough and the cold and to actually um, look towards the heart of the matter. So, uh, so anyway, a lot of this stuff is blatantly plagiarized from her. So uh, I'll just go ahead, start out in, t- in integrity and telling you that, um, that I've lifted a lot of this stuff directly from what I've learned from her. So um, anyway, so we're going to talk about your kids' hearts and we're going to talk about um, how um, it, it um, compares with the developmental continuum from zero all the way to adolescence. Um, this will hopefully give you a little bit of insight on how you can age appropriately um, share with your children. So, um, first of all, before we start any sort of um, uh, parenting talk in the church, we should probably see if there's anything in the Bible that has to say about uh, parenting. And uh, if any of you guys have spent any time looking through the concordance or anything like that, you'll find that you know, aside from beating your kid with a rod, there's really not a lot <laughs> of, uh, of um, uh, volume in Scripture, at least, devoted to the, um, to the uh, topic of parenting. That's probably by design. Um, but if, uh, if we, I would like to direct you to one particular Scripture that I think summarizes the essence of spirit-filled parenting. I want to set this up by saying there are only three places in the Gospels where the voice of God is audibly heard by a group of people. I mean, like, phonation. Like, you hear, it goes through your tympanic membrane, stimulates your acoustic vestibular nerve, and, I mean, that type. We're not talking, you know, like the Holy Spirit talking to you. It is, it is uh, accounted for from at least three different perspectives. You'll see this in Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, and then this is Luke 3.22, where this is audible, God speaking. And um, he doesn't do that too often. So um, I just I, I kind of want to uh, uh, put that background in there. And we also want to say that um, we know that up until this time, Jesus was growing in stature and wisdom. So this was day one of uh, his ministry that would, be, that would turn into be the three years that uh, he would... Uh, um, uh, do his uh, ministry leading up to the cross. Um, so anyway, God is speaking. He could basically say anything that he wants to. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So, uh, I guess the, the one thing that I'd like to, to really point out about this is that God chose, chose to affirm relationship with his son. Okay? He could have said, you know those 5,000 years that I've been promising a Messiah to you? You know all the, all the hope of the world that's been waiting for this for generations and eons? This is the Messiah. You should kneel before him. You know, this is the one. But no. He chose to be a father of relationship. And he said... 
Jesus, I love you, and you make me proud, and you make me happy. I mean, maybe he knew that's what Jesus would need over the next three years, is he needed a reminder of his belovedness. Maybe that's all that that God thought he needed. But regardless of what it is, this happened before God, before Jesus accomplished anything. Uh, what's that? Okay. This happened before Jesus performed any miracles. This happened before he, um, before he turned water into wine. This is before he, uh, you know, did any of his sermons. But God was proud of him anyway. So, what is your child's greatest need? And that is to be continually reminded of their belovedness in your sight. I think that right there, and that's what I hope to impart to you today, is that this is the essence of parenting. And um, there is a a plot, a well-devised plot by the enemy to tear down the heart of your child. So... Those are the stakes that we're up against. So let me kind of uh, broaden out a little bit, get back to the developmental psychology part. Um, first of all, let me, um, let me talk about psychology just for a moment. Psychology is a great discipline. I was an undergrad in that. Um, Jim Basham uh, has extensive education in psychology. And psychology is basically the study of human behavior. Um, actually, it's a study of behavior and the animal kingdom. It, uh, even the snails that uh, uh, crawl along the earth um, um, adhere to some basic behavioral principles. So uh, psychology is, a, is an incredible tool. Um, it's, the, uh, it's basically the wisdom of mankind. It's very descriptive in um, what's going on in the minds of, of individuals. But it is my belief that if you look to psychology or you look to any man-made wisdom for answers about matter of the heart, you're, you're going to come up short. Compare that with the Bible, which is the wisdom of man, which is basically the operating manual for man's heart, the heart of humanity. So, psychology is going to be a useful tool in the hands of someone who has good foundation in gospel. All right, Whenever we talk about the priests of, you know, the Old Testament in David's time, King David's time. We're not talking about Catholic, you know, and robes and everything like that. The priests, indeed, were counselors that sat down and talked to you about your problems. In fact, in, in Hebrews uh, chapter, I'm already off base here. I've lost my place on my little thing here. Yeah, Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 2 um, they were, in fact, counselors, and um, he can, they were, it goes to say, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself is also beset with weaknesses. So, our man Jimbo right there, you know, he's a biblical counselor. He's actually a member of a very ancient discipline, and that is the biblical counselor. It's been around for eons. And what they do is they use their man-made wisdom as a tool in relation to what God asks of us. So, I guess I'm not trying to make a sales pitch for biblical counselors, but I will tell you this, that I think 
secular psychology is going to have a limited utility whenever you talk about the hearts of us. Okay? So, um, psychology is a good tool, and I think you'll find in this talk that I'm going to give, psychology offers some good insights. Okay. Um, you guys have probably taken a child development course. You guys have probably taken it in high school or in college, um, especially if you're an education major or if um, you were like um, a psychology major. Lots of psychology is a very um, popular major, as a matter of fact. But uh, it's my belief that everybody could, could probably benefit from... Uh, Jim, what time do I need to be wrapping up uh, with this? Eleven o'clock. Okay. All right. We better huff it then. Um, I believe that even high school students, every high school student, any would-be parent would probably benefit from knowing about how children develop because it's an incredibly stressful thing to be a parent, as you guys no doubt know. Um, I hate to segue into child abuse, but any parenting course um, does need, it, it is it is uh, it's uh, appropriate. But whenever you talk about uh, um, when you talk about child abuse, um, it's really the um, end result of living in a, a fallen world that thrives on its violent subculture. And uh, you add in things like poverty, substance abuse. You have a bunch of kids walking uh, walking around the house, and then you throw in something that's normal, like crying, colic, toilet training accidents, temper tantrums. All of these things that are normal, and that be the powder keg right there. So, a lot of what brings disappointment in parenting is whenever they have unrealistic expectations of their children. And I think that you'll find that children's development comes in a wide array of, um, of shapes and sizes. Excuse me. And um, furthermore, uh, it's. Um, it's just hard. It really is. Uh, whenever you have this ideal in your mind about how parenting is going to progress, and it falls short. So, education, maybe just, maybe on a, if, if we're going to try to uh, approach the topic of child abuse and try to, to, um, to lessen its impact across the country, that's my little suggestion on how it might be done, is by education on what is normal child development. So, segueing back to, um, to uh, the developmental assessment. Now, t to be kind of complete, I did put in your handout, uh, the first handout right here. It's this, um, this uh, confusing-looking diagram right here. That um, This is called the Denver Developmental Screen. Whenever, uh, whenever parents bring their ch children into the well-child checks or if they bring them in for um, developmental concerns, we use this tool. Using this tool means getting down on the ground with the children, getting some crayons out, having them draw some pictures, maybe stack some blocks up, asking them questions and things like that. That's how we get a um, firm grasp on their developmental status. Um, but what I really wanted to point out about this, and this kind of just underlies the, the difficulty with being a parent, it's the fact that Developmental milestone achievement is widely variable. Like, 
You could have an early walker, someone who's, you know, cruising around furniture by seven months of age. Or it could be 14 months of age before they learn how to walk. And I have lots of parents come in and they're frustrated, like, why isn't my child walking? You know, or why isn't my child saying mama or dada? The, if, if you look at this, mama or dada is normal from, basically it's normal from seven months to 14 months. So there's a wide range in which kids will start learning how to talk. And so I guess what I'm trying to bring about with this is that arming yourself with knowledge and about uh, normal childhood development, I'm not saying it's going to make it easier, but I'm, I'm saying that you know maybe it will save you some frustration. And then this is, this is what I mean. Toilet training is probably the classic example of um, kind of parents kind of hitting the wall as far as what expectations are. Let me, let me tell you, this is, this is basically um, what you're asking your child to do, where you're asking the toilet training. I'm sorry, some of you guys might already be beyond toilet training. Um, some of you guys might be before. This is just, uh, this is just being uh, illustrative. But basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to persuade your child to take this huge, huge developmental leap. Okay? I mean, and there's no clear benefits to him being toilet trained. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's lightning the queen. He's like, blow out. <laughs> Change me, mama. I mean, you know, he's just, he's just, why? Why? That's such a great situation. You get him on the pit stop and then you get him on out. I mean, Lightning McQueen. Why, why in the world would they want to toilet train themselves? So what you've got to kind of understand about this is that, <laughs> sorry, um, is that um, you know, it's going to be a wide degree of um, variability um, when they finally um, say that they, yeah, toilet training is in my best interest as well. You know, They've got, to, uh, they've got to be able to pull up and down their own trousers, obviously. I mean, if you're going to start trying to toilet train a child before they learn how to pull up and down their own trousers, you're spinning your wheels, okay? Um, if, uh, if they don't care about being in a dirty diaper, what motivation are they going to have, okay? And then thirdly, um, they've got to be able to communicate. Um, toilet training is a communication Excuse me. It is a communication milestone, and it's. Uh, and I, I hope I pressed upon you um, the fact that uh, there's uh, a lot of facets in um, toilet training. Interestingly enough, what uh, finally will convince a child to finish toilet training is whenever they experience a little bit of shame. You know, when they're in preschool, they have a dirty, a dirty one, and little Susie look at them like. <laughs> that that's actually what solidifies that last bit of toilet training. So um, caused a lot of consternation for parents, and I just wanted to kind of throw that in. Okay, now we're going to go on to this next one: infancy to preschool. We're talking about social and language development. Uh, uh, this is a useful table that I'd like you guys to digest at your leisure. But I just want to show you some uh, milestones that we're going to work with today. Man, development is such a great thing. Um, 
language is starting at infancy. I mean, at newborn. Crying signifies hunger, discomfort, illness, not crying, sleeping, contentment. I mean, language is already starting, even at zero days of age. But you see that, they, that the infancy of language is beginning at two months whenever they, those cries evolve into coos, when they start experimenting with their voice a little bit. Um, you know, then it turns into word soup, and we got that, that adorable babble, and they're laughing while they're doing it, and things like that. So, um, language development is occurring basically from day one. And this is going to tie into what I'm going to talk about here in a moment, because what are we here to talk about today? We're talking about how to age appropriately share spiritually with your children. I, I hope that's what I can impart to you guys today. So, I mean, we've got, um, we got good stuff going on. Um, you know, uh, by uh, 12, 12 months, they actually, they actually show pride in something that they've achieved. These are, these are incredible times. So, um, what I just wanted to, to kind of um, point out to you is that, um, that these things are happening at, at an early age. There's going to be three take-home points today. Uh, the first take-home point is um, observation. Uh, a lot of how they achieve these milestones is through observation. They're listening human voices. In fact, at four months of age, they actually turn preferentially towards human voice. All right? Not the TV. They turn preferentially towards a spoken human voice. Okay? So, um, I hope that one thing that you guys can appreciate today is that observation is going to be an incredibly important learning modality for children. Uh, basically, um, your children... Uh, i got to get Wikipedia on you guys because um, I threw away my... Well, I didn't throw them away, but I sold my psychology textbooks in undergrad because I needed that money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had no idea that I'd be needing to look this stuff up again. But observational learning, also known as vicarious learning, is learning that occurs as a function of observing, retaining, and replicating behavior observed in others. Children learn in many modalities, infant, toddler, and preschool years. Observation is very important. I want you guys to hang on to this for just a moment. Observation is the foundation of their character. It's the foundation of um, their personality. And it can go both ways. They can observe things that benefit them. Like if you read early to them. Studies have shown you read early to your child. Even in infancy, they're going to have a love for books and language and storytelling, which is incredibly important in how we do academics here in the country. So, uh, can go to the positive way. And anybody who knows that let out a curse word in front of your kids, it can also go towards their detriment as well. Um, you know, and this, this, there's just a wide array of um, studies that show that behaviors dis uh, displayed by parents are basically inherited, not genetically, but inherited by terms of observation to their children. They, they incorporate them into their repertoire. Anything from obesity to smoking to anger and physical abuse. These are things that are observed. I'm not telling you guys anything that is revolutionary here. I just need to, to kind of poke and prod at this as we get to the essence of why I'm here today. 
So, if observation is so important, what can a spirit-filled parent do to utilize this? Well, reading the Bible to your infant and toddler. Knock out two birds with one stone. Spending time in the Word. All right? It's what God causes us to do, huh? And um, you're setting that seed, that observation. If you were to observe um, violent behavior, they would they pick that up. Pick up whatever ball you hand them, okay? And they run with it. So, um, reading stories to your infants and toddlers, getting that early literacy going. Um, maybe dads carrying your, your, your Bible around the house, you know, sitting down, reading a couple of scriptures before, uh, before dinner time. Who knows? Maybe your little kid will start carrying his Bible around the, the household too, you know, emulating that type of behavior. The infancy, the beginning, the seeds of their personality. 80% of it's established by five years of age. These are incredible times. Um, oh, I've got one. Don't be a jerk when you come home. Okay? Seriously. Anger is incredibly inheritable. And it is so tolerated in the, in the Christian households. We look, at, we look at anger like we look at you know, a caffeine habit. It's just it's tolerated and it's so detrimental to their character. So um, I hope uh, I, I don't want to come off as condemning in today's talk. I don't want to speak from the heart of condemnation, but uh, anger is very prevalent, and I, I suffer with it myself. So um, we all need to uh, we all need to keep that in, in consideration because these little kids are tape recorders, man. I mean, they just record everything. I wish I had time to go through autism. If we have time at the end of the thing, I would be happy to address any questions you have on that hot button topic. But we got to go on. Let's go to this uh, last little handout right here. Um, I'll give you some. I'll give you guys some time uh, to look at this real quick. I'm gonna quiz you guys real quick. Everyone have the uh, handout that says elementary to adolescence. We're looking at that. Does that look familiar to anybody? Uh, who's, who are the uh, theorists that came up with these two theories? Anybody know? What's that? Okay, cognitive is Jean Piaget. Psychosocial, does anyone know that one? Psychosexual, does anyone know that one? Freud, yeah, a little too racy for this talk. Psychosocial is Eric Erickson. Until Jim asked me to do this talk, I never put these two tables together. I never laid them side by side. But when I did, I was like, man, this is it. We're talking about 7 to 11-year-olds. Okay? So I've, I've left infancy. I've left the toddler years. Now we're going to the meat of this talk today. And we're talking... Oh, my gosh. Okay. We're talking... We're, we're, we're past halfway. Okay, we're talking about the fact that kids at this age are concrete operational thinkers. A concrete operational means, and, 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 I'll, and it's, it's going to be in, in the next little uh, slide that we have here, but concrete operational thinkers means black and white. It means there's no variation. It means if it's said, it must be true. All right? 
concrete thinkers. The next stage in cognitive development would be abstract thinking, concrete thinking. This is whenever they're starting to solidify these principles. And to do so, um, you know, things like math and things like that um, and reading, this is the model that they operate in. Psychosocial theory basically divides the human experience up into developmental stages. And each one of these, from infancy till um, elderly, you have a dilemma that you have to negotiate. If you negotiate it successfully, you get positive personality characteristics. If you fail to answer these questions, you get your personality is affected uh, badly. So, I mean, anybody can see trust versus mis mistrust in the 0 to 18 month old age. Uh, go to any orphanage in a third world country. I haven't been there personally, but you'll see if they don't have that sort, if, if they fail to, um, to answer that question, how uh, profoundly it affects their personality. Um, autonomy versus shame kind of goes back to what I said about uh, toilet training. That's autonomy versus shame is the thing that 18-month-olds to 3-year-olds are trying to answer. Autonomy, acting independently, versus shame. Uh, but the thing that I was wanting to, and I don't know if Eric Erickson and Jean Piaget, if they knew that this was happening, but this creates an incredible dilemma, the fact that concrete operational thinkers are going through the dilemma of industry versus inferiority. In other words, they're answering this question. Do I have the ability to produce socially acceptable, no, I'm sorry, not socially acceptable, socially desirable outcomes? Do I have that ability to produce these things? That's what they're trying to answer. Competence is the virtue that, um, that uh, they will go away with this. The root word is compete, and um, I'll uh, just uh, kind of go on from there. The issue with concrete thinkers is um, black and white. If it's said, it must be true. In other words, good kids who hit home runs, score goals, and make straight A's are good. Okay? That is, in, concrete, in their concrete terms, they see what is asked of them to produce things that people want to see. Okay? They want to see goals. They want to see straight A's. They see kids that do it, and they see how they are just lavished. So the reality becomes, in a concrete thinker's terms, this is the issue with them. That's what makes this, this um, the fact that this, these, two, uh, these two dilemmas are um, occurring concurrently, that's what just makes this so incredibly important as to what I'm trying to tell you today. If... I don't score goals and I don't make straight A's, I must be bad. <coughs> Rinse and repeat that 200 times over the course of their second grade year. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's basically what um, I'm, I'm trying to tell you guys today is that comparison and competition that's, that's really what I should have named this, this presentation today. Comparison and competition, that's the second take-home point. Comparison and competition is something that the enemy has full knowledge of. Comparison and competition 
is a well-calculated assault against your child's heart. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need competition in schools. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. We got to, I mean, I'm a doctor. I, I had to compete, you know, to get ahead. I, I'm, not, I'm not being some, you know, soft-bellied guy here that says we shouldn't push our kids to compete. But I'm telling you, it comes at an incredible cost. We need, we need kids who are going to figure out world hunger and cure cancer. We got to push them. We got to make them achieve their potential. But I want you to know, Satan sees that too. And Satan's goal is to beat your kid down to the point that whenever he comes to the point that God's unconditional love is sitting there on the throne, he'll say, I'm not worth it. I can't accept that. That is the end game. That's what makes comparison and competition that's, that's what makes it the rub that it is. So what's your recourse against this? Let me make sure that I got all these points out right here. Um, I did. What is your recourse for... Um, we are starting to head down, head back down to the, to the uh, conclusion here. What is your defense against this? Go back to Luke 3.22. See how my talk's like a circle? We're getting back to what we started with. What did the father say to his son? What's the prototypical parent-child relationship that we have to live by? God and the son. I love you, Jesus. You make me happy. You make me proud. That's what he said. He could have said anything. He could have said, Neil... This is your Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. But no, He chose to affirm relationship. And incredible. The God of the universe. All the planets, universes, stars wanted to be the God of relationship. So, you're going to look at these statements right here and some of them are going to flip you out because I'm sure the, your parents didn't say these to you. I love you. Everyone said, God, I love you. But I love you is a very bland statement. Do we agree? I like you. We are so thankful that God gave you to us as our son and daughter. Son, son or daughter? You wouldn't say that. That would confuse him. <laughs> um, we are so thankful that God gave you to us as, as our son. I enjoy you and I appreciate you. And I like hanging out with you. I'm not saying abdicate your 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 um, your position as a disciplinarian. You got to be hard on them. We're going to raise a bunch of insufferable, you know, in, entitled brats if we don't discipline them. But the thing is, the main conflict that we have here is that their heart is full of love, and every time that they are negatively compared, or any time that they fail to compete, that well drains. This is how you fill it back up. Statements of belovedness. Remind them of their belovedness in your sight. That's the way that we kind of turn this table here. And I'm not talking every now and then. This should be a daily affirmation. Um, 
So anyway, I, I hate to put a tangent in here, but we do have to address ADHD since it's so prevalent, one in ten kids. If, if um, the way that we determine value in today's society is by how they achieve, okay, how they achieve in an academic setting, that's one of the big ways that kids determine their self-worth. ADHD is going to be a definite impediment in, in, that, in, that, um, in that pursuit. Um, if, if, uh, if you guys don't know what ADHD is, it's, it's another hot-button bot topic. It's uh, basically inattention or hyperactivity or impulsivity that basically precludes good academic performance, the way we do it here in the United States. Okay? So uh, if you have a child that has these tendencies, um, if this is a discussion that you've had, that you've had with your own heart, that you've had with teachers, etc. You owe it to yourself to go to your pediatrician and have them take a closer look at this because Satan will use this as well. The onslaught is not fair. It's just not. And kids who have ADHD, I, I completely, as a, as a believer, as someone who comes to you today as a, as, as a a, a doctor that, that tries his best to practice medicine as a Christian, I will medicate these kids. And um, I will also, and Jim left, thanks, um, because this was my plug for Jim, I will also additionally seek the help of a biblical counselor to help me through this. Not only for the child, but for the parent. Because whenever I'm bringing it, when you're bringing in a child with ADHD, they're damaged. Their heart has been has been wounded by comparison and competition. I have to have a biblical counselor help me through this. I can't do it myself. So I employ a multidisciplinary approach with my ADHD children. So going on to adolescence, I'm sorry that adolescents are going to get slighted in this talk today, but basically, yes. Okay. All right. All right, I think I've, I think I got five. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so hopefully they didn't take that baggage with them, that whole comparison and competition thing, but likely they did in some form or fashion. But when they're adolescents, the enemy has a few other tricks up their sleeve. First of all, comparison and competition isn't going to go away. <laughs> if anything... It's going to get worse. Um, Jim, I have, a, I have an article that I'd like you to copy by Dr. Dutton. I, I, I don't know if you guys know who Dr. Dutton is. She's, she's a wonderful Christian doctor. And um, this article is called Fighting for the Heart. Interestingly, it hasn't been published in Singer, But it talks about the deception that, uh, that kids need 4.3 GPAs to go to a Texas state school and that um, they have to be on select sports in order to pay. So, uh, um, I just, uh, Jim, I'd really like you to pass this out to them, uh, uh, if you would, please. Because this, this, guys, this isn't something that's developed over the course of 30 years. 
this phenomenon with hyper-competitiveness, over-scheduled kids is over the last four or five years. Exponential. So, yeah. So anyway, um, comparison competition isn't going to go anywhere. If anything, it gets worse. You know, throw in some oblivious parents. Throw in um, isolation from spiritual community, and I'm approaching the third point and the conclusion of this talk today. I'm not talking about parents who go to church. Anyone can go to church. I'm talking about families that are isolated spiritually. They don't have church friends. They don't have friends that they can walk with accountability and with encouragement if they don't have these sorts of things, they're basically spiritually isolated. I mean, everyone knows that the body of Christ runs like a herd. If one of them veers off, that's, that's, that's how they snap you up. Then you put in... Uh, okay. <laughs> I think he's coming for me. I think he's saying, you're done. Okay. <laughs> I always hear that you're just supposed to ignore them. So, <laughs> so anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm cheating. <laughs> the South Portable, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate it. Um, anyway, uh, throw in a suitable substitute to God's love. You've got that God-shaped, heart, uh, God-shaped hole in your heart. You throw in destructive relationships, drugs, alcohol, and the media, which, let's not kid ourselves, are very prevalent in LISD. Media, internet, things like that. And basically the noose is tightened at that point. All Satan needs is he just needs a, a, this, damaged, uh, this damaged soul to continue into adulthood and basically be ineffective in the kingdom. Not glorifying God. Okay, so another tangent. I also want to just speak briefly about cell phones and texting. The false perception is that we have a generation that's uh, communicating better because they can text and email and I have to admit that my own wife has called me out on this. I mean, I had to had to get rid of my housekeeper. I was going to do it up with a voicemail. She said, nope. <laughs> the information that we're conveying has somehow become more important than the method of communication. In, order, in, in other words, face-to-face communication is being marginalized. We just want to get... Get the information there. Get a do what? What are those things called when you blast email? Just want to get the point out. That's all we want to do. This, I believe, is also a result of our hyper-competitive culture. We don't like confrontation because we're just getting it day in and day out. What What is the result of this? I I can't tell you, but I think that teenagers are going to lose the ability to look out for each other's hearts, and I don't know how that's going to look in ten to twenty years. So. Anyway, okay, we're at 40 minutes, guys. Um, This is the conclusion. What is God's call to you? It's parenting. Whenever you get married, I think we all agree that you die to yourself. It's an incredibly humbling experience. Parenting, if there's 
any other way to die to yourself, again, being a parent would be that. It's an incredibly humbling experience. What are you going to be? You've heard about authoritative versus authoritarian parenting. If you've learned anything about psychology, um, the authoritative parent is the good parent. They're the ones that are proactive. They value conversation. They don't try to coerce good behavior out of their kids. They do it through a dialogue. And they're consistent in their discipline. They don't cry one minute, laugh the other minute, spank them one minute, put them in timeout the other minute. They stay consistent. And they don't let their kids see them break under pressure. Guys, you've got to put your poker face on when you're disciplining your kids. They can't see an emotional wreck. Okay? I mean, I, that, that's what your spouse is for. They're like, oh. Okay? That's what they're for. Your, your kids, they don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be the disciplinarian. And, you know, I, I don't want you guys to think I'm being preachy either. This is also an opportunity to spend, uh, share the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what's my final take-home point today? It's that you can't do this alone. You've got to walk with Rock Point. You've got to walk with your, with your groups that you hang out with here. You've got to share encouragement with them. You've got to... I hate to keep saying you've got to. I've got to stop that. <laughs> it would be great if you could walk spiritually in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's extensively commanded of us in the Bible. Over 50 references about one another is made. It's designed to provide an environment that provides um, spiritual growth and application of God's Word. It is a place where you can share encouragement and resources. Hopefully, your kids can learn spiritual community through youth group. I know that I did. I know that it saved me too. So, anyway, that is my talk today. Um, We skimmed over some points, Jim. I'm sure you wanted me to cover, but... uh, I'll be uh, open for any questions that you guys have. Thank you very much. So, question time for Dr. Small. And it doesn't have to be this. I mean, if you guys have some health questions, I'll be happy to answer that as well. (laughs) I have one in just a sense of this class since it's designed about the ultimate goal of communicating uh, the, the gospel to your child. At what level, if you could just give us some bullet points of when are they ready? You know, my two-year-old, I was trying to teach her Romans 12. <laughs> I say go straight for the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you know, memorize, kid. <laughs> right. Jim, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Observation is going to be a very important way that you share spiritually with your children. Because... Cognitively speaking, they're not going to have the capacity to grasp some of these things. But if you can display these characteristics, controlling your anger in the household, providing a unified front of parent, mother, and father to them, praying with them, uh, doing your own thing. You know, maybe you guys have devotional time not before you go to bed, but maybe while the, the kids are playing in the other room and you and your wife sit down and have a little devotional time. I mean, let me tell you, I mean, 
my wife and I are struggling to have daily devotional. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm walking perfectly in this. I'm just telling you that observation is the root of their personality. Okay, It is what's going to form their character. And so, basically, in the infant and toddler times, it's going to be observation. Sharing spiritually with your children means, uh, in, in childhood years, means that uh, you guard them from the effects of comparison and competition. The way you do that is you have to replenish their heart with continual statements of, the, of their belovedness in your sight. You have to go back to Luke 3.22 and look at how God approached his son. He could have said anything, and he chose to just make a unequivocal statement of, I love you. And, you know, getting outside the box, I love you, I think that's kind of a blase term. We're talking about, man, I really think you're great. You know, rinse and repeat that 200 times during the course of their second grade year. Every time they're getting beat down, why don't you build them back up? Build back up their heart. Um, it's, you know, I mean, and yes, they need to be in Sunday school and church. Absolutely, Jim. Um, you know, you, you have to raise your kids in church. Um, you know, but I, I want us to all realize that we were raised in church and many of us are disenfranchised. We're like, church. It's the reason a lot of you guys come to Rock Point is because this is a, this is a new, fresh way of doing church. The way we did church beat us over the head, told us how bad we were. Where were you raised? <laughs> Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Southern Baptist. I'm still Southern Baptist, but I'll, I'll tell you. Um, uh, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. But um, <laughs> I, I think I was trying to, I think it's very cathartic to share my junk with people, so I just decided to share it with you guys. Like, and I just told you how much I love the youth group. I did. I really did. But I think a lot of people are really um, kind of, they, they don't have good memories of, of church. So, But church cannot be the singular event. Just pushing them into youth group and pushing them into uh, youth choir and things like that and just expecting that to be the work done is not going to get it done. Uh, and then finally, uh, with teenagers, God, man, I mean, I, I could use some insight in uh, how to share spiritually with uh, teenagers other than, um, you know, just, just love on them and be hard on them at the same time. You know, um, you know don't let them take their cell phone up to their bedroom, you know, just kind of be unreasonably hard on them like that. Uh, they'll, they'll appreciate you later on. Um, Jim, as far as uh, how, to, how to share spiritually with, uh, with uh, older teenagers and things like that, I think um, honesty and uh, just uh, uh, coming up to, to them humbly and just, uh, just tell them, you know, I love you. I want you. I want you to be the best that you can possibly be. You know, but we we have these things that we expect of you, um, and uh, try not to try not to operate out of condemnation. Try not to be coercive. Try not to get even with your kid. Okay. If if I had one piece of advice for parents is don't take it personally. 
I know it's hard to do. I know it's hard to overwrite your maternal instinct or your paternal instinct or whatever, but you can't take this personally. This, this is, this is what, would God, what does God do to you when you misbehave? Does he strike you down with a lightning bolt? No. Okay, so, but, but make no bones about it. God disciplines us, and I think we can all agree with that. He stays on top of us, you know. So, anyway, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> what other questions do we have? You see, what, what happens is parents tend to go on-off. You know, we're, we're going to snuff out this behavior and we're going, to tell, we're going to share our displeasure with those children and things like that and we're not going to pair it with statements of belovedness, okay? So they can. If a parent does not approach this, if the spirit-filled parent does not approach this, um, you know, in a manner that promotes belovedness, they will get the messages confused. It goes back to their concrete operational thinking. It goes back to their cognitive uh, capacity. It's okay to dislike the behavior, but the behavior is what they're dealing with in the first place. Behaviors, socially desirable behaviors, is what they're trying to produce. And so they, they frequently link their behavior or their actions with who they are as a person. It's, I, I wish there was an easier way to, to, to put it to you, but if you don't pair love and kindness and the fruits of the spirits with your discipline, um, you know, tell them that you love them as you're spanking them. I don't know, but it, the, the thing is, they, they, need, they, they, need to be, they need to be in such close proximity to each other that... Um, that they, it, the confusing message, and Jim, you might be able to elaborate on this, that the confusing message can be, um, can be made as least confusing as possible. Kev, anything? Well, we had an opportunity. Uh, most of you weren't here back then, but everybody remembers Blair from the Facts of Life. Uh, her name's Lisa Wetchell, and she probably lives out in Lantana, but she had come to talk to our congregation before about disciplining a child and she has a type of home where there's two ways to the same room uh, some of you are blessed with that situation some of you are not but she uh, during that time had the opportunity to calm herself down as she would send her child the other way and then in that room be able to pray with them before she even started to discipline them oh, so you know that only uh, you know produced patience in her but also just the opportunity for her to be calm during the discipline and uh, what we would consider loving discipline. So um, hopefully your question got answered. But there's, the, you know, children know, the di- I mean, we know the difference when we're disciplining in anger and uh, not love. So <laughs> if you don't, then call me. <laughs> somebody that uh, can tell you the difference. But... Uh, but there, there's a huge difference between it. Doesn't mean you're. Fr- you know, we're all frustrated when, when our child does something wrong. 
But there's definitely a difference. I think the easiest way is to know whether you have the fruit of the Spirit uh, while you're disciplining them. So if you don't, then, then you need to, to not discipline them until you do have the fruit of the Spirit. That would go at all ages. What are the questions? Yes. <laughs> go ahead. Um, we have a three-year-old son. Uh, who has just started preschool this fall and for the first time is acting like the boy, um, very assertive, kind of the wild play. Um, yeah, he's finding out about Power Rangers, so he doesn't know what they are. He just hears it at preschool and thinks it, it's just a license to be all crazy. <laughs> but when he's with his other three-year-old boy friends, they are much more aggressive with each other. And I'm finding that the teachers kind of want to squelch that and you know, be all nice and sweet. And I'm thinking three-year-old boys need an opportunity to get some of this out. And there's maybe a boundary of what that behavior is. But She's using all the buzzwords, man. I love it. Boundary. <laughs> uh, you know, um, go ahead. Were you going to say anything else? Well, I just didn't see um, wild child under fruit of the spirit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I totally 100% agree with you. I, I just I just don't I don't see uh, any um, any issue with that at all. Um, the uh, the uh, the expectations about uh, you know your your children. Um, you know sometimes sometimes the Lord deals you a card that uh, you didn't think you were going to have to play. Uh, you know I, I definitely am a strong believer in temperaments. Uh, you know. Um, kind of a, pre, a child's predisposition towards, um, you know, being active or being more, you know, uh, reserved and things like that. I think uh, I th- what 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 I would what I'd recommend is uh, is definitely, you know, uh, keeping them in that play group. Uh, you know, definitely if things start to push over, if uh, you're observing, you know, any sort of aggressive type of behaviors. Um, those, those do have to be dealt with con- consistently because um, it can it can escalate. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't let boys be boys, but uh, um, they they consi- they they constantly weave in between you know aggressive acts that have been learned through the media and you know just kind of you know playing rough and tumble like they do. And I, I'm not saying that you can just watch them at all times, but Whenever you do have that opportunity where you're seeing a, a behavior that seems to be part of a Power Rangers movie, you know, you know that uh, if if you can if you can kind of jump on that with uh, you know with all these things that we we talked about, you know, um, it's a full time job. I'm I'm not trying to to marginalize it, but it, it is. And uh, no, let let the boys be boy. Let them. Let them jump. Let them, you know, holler and things like that. Uh, but uh, just know that uh, that consistent boundaries need to be kept, and uh, and also those boundaries may change from situation to situation. Like let's say they're they need to be quiet while you're at church or something like that. I mean, uh, uh, definitely those uh, you need to be consistent on how you enforce those standards as well. 
Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Love it.